Welcome to episode 21 of the TTM Academy podcast. I am your co-host, Philippe Tran. Today, we are going to be covering what's going to be the third part of this mini-series of episodes covering COVID-19. We are still uh, deep into the pandemic here in the United States, and we did back in April, uh, episodes 19 and 20, where we covered actually the uh, management and implications of out-of-hospital cardiac arrest in the setting, in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic. Today, and I know that it's been a while, but we are back, um, and this will be a very interesting episode covering the uh, all aspects related to in-hospital cardiac arrest management and the latest data that we've seen in the past uh, few months informing us, informing the resuscitation community um, on the implications of um, cardiac arrest in hospital setting in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic. A little bit of background, COVID-19 has caused over a million deaths uh, worldwide as of November 2020. Many of these patients, as we all know, required hospitalization. And once they're in the hospital, it is uh, not uncommon to see uh, patients to clinically deteriorate. Um, we know that the mortality in some U.S. hospitals has approached um, even 25 to 30 percent in the early part of our pandemic. And despite the large numbers of critical uh, patients with COVID-19 in that we've seen this year, we don't really actually know much about the outcomes uh, from patients who decompensate in the setting of critical illness related to COVID-19 and eventually experience an in-hospital cardiac arrest. So in order to discuss uh, what we know and what we perhaps don't know about in-hospital cardiac arrest in the setting of COVID-19, I'm joined today by my colleague uh, and researcher here at University of Pennsylvania, Dr. Oscar Mitchell. Oscar is a intensivist, or I should say intensivist in the making. Um, he is a uh, physician from the UK. He completed his medical training at University of Nottingham and worked uh, for several years at the NHS before actually making the move to New York City to complete his uh, residency training at NYU. That's actually where we met. He is currently a pulmonary and critical care fellow here at University of Pennsylvania, as well as a member of the Center for Resuscitation Science. Oscar just led a um, pretty interesting study that will be actually presented in one of the plenary lectures at RES uh, in a few days, and he'll be uh, sharing the some of the data from his own multi-center study here in the United States, as well as um, a few other studies that we are going to cover. How are you, Oscar? I'm well, Felipe. Thank you have, for having me on the show. Where are you right now? Uh, right now, I'm in Wynwood, which is a suburb of Philadelphia. Let's uh, get started uh, with no further delay. So, Oscar, uh, back a few months ago, we discussed the uh, management and some of the data that we had seen both from uh, European studies uh, out of Italy, out of France, um, as well as uh, one large study out of uh, our colleagues here in Seattle, um, reporting outcomes and some of the characteristics of out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. And um, around that time, there was actually not much yet um, on the the um, in-hospital cardiac arrest side of things. Um, but there was a paper, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, um, out of uh, actually a Wuhan group in the epicenter of the uh, pandemic uh, that described uh, back in uh, April, I believe, some of the um, outcomes of these patients in the context of in-hospital cardiac arrest. And since then, between uh, April and um, now, we've, we've had actually a number of other 
groups uh, describing some of the outcomes of, of patients uh, that suffer cardiac arrest in the setting of uh, COVID-19. So why don't you um, maybe get us started with some of the background of uh, kind of w- what's the story behind uh, in-hospital cardiac arrest? And, uh, what is it that we've learned over the past uh, few months? Yeah, that's right, Felipe. Really the first indication that we got from the outcomes that we could expect from patients with in-hospital cardiac arrest from COVID-19 was that that cohort study out of Wuhan, of course, the epicenter of the early days of the pandemic. A group there looked at outcomes from a single hospital um, and characterized 136 patients who suffered in-hospital cardiac arrest. They found really shockingly poor outcomes uh, with rates of ROSC of just over 13% um, and only a 3% survival to to 30 days. And when you contrast that to the rates that we expect to see from in-hospital cardiac arrest of between 40 and 50%, um, that really is, is pretty shocking. Um, yeah. So, so this is important, really important to highlight for folks, uh, that might be driving or in the gym, or I guess nobody really goes to the gym, but, uh, whatever they're doing while listening to a podcast, it's important to remember this statistic, right? In general, as a, as a, um, oversimplification, perhaps the outcomes are much better, uh, when it comes to in-hospital cardiac arrest compared to out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, right? The expectation is that, uh, patients will much more often get ROSC and much more often have, uh, good neurological outcomes uh, after uh, in-hospital cardiac arrest. Um, what, it, what is that number? Just to make it really clear, what is the number that we, um, ballpark number that we can give? Well, when we see when we see all comers from in-hospital cardiac arrest, we expect a rate of ROSC between 40 to 50% and a, a survival rate in, of just over 20%. Now, those rates have increased somewhat over the last 20 years. And there is also a really quite marked variation between hospitals. And so these results from from Wuhan really struck the resuscitation community as quite shocking. The rate of ROSC was 13%. That was only 18 patients out of their 136 um, patient cohort. And four patients survived to 30 days, of which only one had a CPC of of one. Um, So these were numbers that were um, uncharacteristically poor. Now, when you break down the tables in this in this paper, there are some features that are suggestive that maybe this cohort isn't representative of the general American in hospital cardiac arrest population. So, while non-shockable rhythms normally do lead in hospital cardiac arrest, this group had a, a rate of asystole of around ninety percent. That's nine zero, Felipe. Shocking, shockingly high, right? Over the high, which is very, very high. Patients. We really expect to see somewhere between thirty and forty percent. Um, of course, outcomes for this group, asystole cardiac arrests, are are usually worse than than PEA or shockable rhythms. Um, and to me, that really suggests that maybe this is a hospital where deterioration was unrecognized until late in the course. And these are patients who may have initially had a PEA arrest that then disintegrated into an asystole, but that's just conjecture. Yeah. Um, so, so that's a, that's a, I think a great summary and a great conjecture. As you said, the um, study had only 136 patients, right? Something doesn't quite seem to fit with the story that we know about in-hospital cardiac arrest. As you mentioned, 90% of these patients had initial rhythm of asystole and only 6% had shockable rhythm, right? Uh, within this cohort. So not exactly what we expected, perhaps. Uh, what what came next? So following this, um, there was a an analysis of the Get With the Guidelines uh, consortium database. Now, I'm sure many of your listeners know that this is a, 
a quality improvement group, uh, which is backed by the American Heart Association, that looks at outcomes for a, from a variety of, of cardiovascular emergencies, including in-hospital cardiac arrest. And a group of their researchers analyzed a representative population um, who did not, of course, have COVID-19. And they, they decided to look at patients who are mechanically ventilated uh, with either sepsis or pneumonia and look at the outcomes um, from that group. Um, they found much much um, much more optimistic numbers than um, had been described um, in the in the Wuhan cohort, um, and in that group, the overall overall rate of survival of discharge was just over twelve percent, um, and of those, the CPC of one or two was about ten percent. So they also found variation within this cohort, and and found that patients who were younger uh, did tend to have better better outcomes um, and better neurological uh, survival as well. As we would expect, right? As we would expect. So following this, there were a series of single center studies. Uh, the first out of uh, New York City, a small uh, case series of 31 patients. And they, this group found um, a higher rate of ROSC, over 40%, but eventually a 0% survival to hospital discharge. The median time to death after ROSC in this cohort was less than three hours, uh, which really suggests that management post-ROSC may have played a role in, in the outcomes uh, of, of this cohort. And I think this is a theme that really plays in the COVID-19 and hospital cardiac arrest literature. As we know, it's not just the management during the cardiac arrest that matters for these patients, but it's, it's post-arrest management, TTM, PCI, that, that makes the difference. So... This study, one of the things that I thought it was interesting from that cohort, from the get with the guidelines um, uh, cohort, was actually the wide variation that they found in those patients with uh, with uh, that survived without any neurological disability. Right, the, what we know is CPC of one, uh, one or two. Um, the range in that group was actually between three percent uh, to over twenty-two percent across uh, the different. Uh, patient subgroups that they described there. Um, well, the survival with non to mild disability will be just a CPC of one range from 1% to 16%. It's, it's a pretty wide variation in, in survival rates there. Um, and I think back, thinking just back what the back, you know, back a few months ago with the uh, context that I think it, it's important for everyone to remember, uh, there was a lot of discussion, uh, again, not that long ago in the context of uh, COVID-19 uh, related cardiac arrest, that because of this perceived, uh, of course, high risk of spreading the infection in the context of running a resuscitation, that many hospitals were actually uh, coming up with policies that were pretty um you could say liberal in terms of stopping resuscitations um, in in the in the context of, of a patient arresting in hospital under the assumption that if you were sick enough to uh, be in the ICU and then you're arrested, the overall your likelihood of you know of, of survival with a good neurological outcome was at least presumably low. And just some of this data, um, even though that might have made sense in terms of the risk um, from the risk perspective, again, not not, not having 
yet uh, much data to to go by. Uh, some of this variation really kind of, I think, shed a light on this issue and at least made everyone aware that uh, this sort of uh, kind of blanket prescription of do, do not resuscitate patients who, who are arrested in the setting of COVID-19 in the hospital just might not be the best approach. Um, would you agree with that? I mean, Felipe, I think that's absolutely right. I think that in any situation, um, the decision of whether or not to pursue uh, CPR in the, in the face of a cardiac arrest is uh, must be individualized to the patient, uh, to the perceived outcome for that patient, and in, um, including the patient's wishes. The COVID-19 pandemic opens up new questions. How do we incorporate the risk to physicians? And I think without exception, the professional guidelines have suggested that uh, the need for donning PPE and uh, personal protective equipment, such as masks and, and visors and gowns, should take priority um, over the initiation of, of CPR. Um, the second being, does COVID-19 itself have any direct outcome in, in hospital cardiac arrest? Does it cause a myocarditis or can it can the neurological effects of it uh, result in changes to neurological outcomes for these patients? And I, th I think that's a very interesting consideration and, and it really expands the ethical scope of whether or not to uh, provide or offer CPR to patients who do suffer cardiac arrest. Absolutely. And in these early days, in the face of these multiple reports that reported zero or close to zero survival to discharge or 30-day survival, there were many, um, many uh, conversations both in the lay press and in the medical literature about whether or not to offer CPR to patients with COVID-19 at all. Um, I'm not aware of any hospital that did pursue a blanket DNR, um, but it, I'm, I'm sure it certainly discuss. I'm sure it was discussed on many levels. Great. So that so sort of set the, stage, set the stage nicely for um, the most recent uh, publication, a, a multi-center consortium called the Stop COVID Trial, um, which was in almost 70 hospitals uh, in the US, uh, the USA. This is a study that was not designed primarily to look at in-hospital cardiac arrest, um, but as, as one of the sub-analyses, uh, they decided to look at patients who did suffer an in-hospital cardiac arrest in their cohort. So they only recruited critically ill patients, so patients in the ICU. Um, they had over 5,000 patients and over just over 700, 701 patients uh, ended up dying. Of those patients, 400 received CPR, uh, received what we would term in hospital cardiac arrest. Um, and they found outcomes which were actually numerically very similar to the outcomes from the Get With The Guidelines cohort. Um, they found rates of ROSC of just over 33%, uh, 33.8%. And uh, in their cohort, 12% survived to hospital discharge. This is a group uh, in this cohort, uh, the presenting rhythm of cardiac arrest was some, was much more in line with what we typically see in the in-hospital cardiac arrest population. PEA was 50%, asystole was 24%, VTAC was 8% and VFib was 4%. Um, and I think given that this is a critically ill intensive care population, these outcomes, as I say, numerically are, are 
very much in line with with what we saw from Get With The Guidelines. And so I think this was the first sign that COVID-19 in hospital cardiac arrest is is truly survivable and and may in fact not be uh, that much different from non-COVID-19 in hospital cardiac arrest. Now, this this study, of course, does have its limitations. Um, There was no control group of patients without COVID-19. And I think that it's a reasonable expectation that in hospitals who have high uh, high levels of strain, uh, a large number of patients admitted with critical illness, that even if outcomes from COVID-19 in hospital cardiac arrest are worse, perhaps the tr- same may be true from non-COVID-19 in hospital cardiac arrest. And that's a, a question to which we have no answer right now. Well, we might have the answer very soon. So just summarizing, this is uh, the study that you were just describing. This is uh, the standard title, In Hospital Cardiac Arrest in Critical Patients with COVID-19. This was a multi-center cohort study published. Uh, lead author is Salim Hayek. Uh, this was, uh, I believe, lead author is from University of Michigan. And this was published in uh, British Medical Journal and BMJ um, last month. We are going to have all the um, citations, all the papers, the literature that we're referencing during the podcast uh, in the show notes uh, for you. So, uh, Greg, uh, this is a great great, uh, and maybe slightly long segue to introduce uh, your own study, um, which I uh, can't wait to hear um, about. Um, We knew from this multiple studies that there was a our understanding was evolving uh, regarding this population of patients. And um, I want to share with the audience a little bit of what you did. Uh, For those of you who are uh, young investigators, Oscar is a young uh, investigator uh, here at UPenn. And um, in in a very smart move, he uh, thought that this was a great opportunity to bring together many centers that uh, he had collaborated with um, in the past and explore uh, outcomes uh, in patients with in-hospital cardiac arrest um, from a multi-center uh, from a multi-center standpoint. So, why don't you uh, tell us about the coronavirus 2019 in-hospital cardiac arrest study group, um, Oscar? And, and for those of you that will attend to rest, Oscar will be presenting this in in detail uh, during uh, one of the plenary talks at uh, Res 2020 in a few days. Yeah. So the COVID-19, the COVID IHCA uh, study group was a uh, group comprised of representatives of 11 hospitals across the country, um, mainly on the Northeast, but with a couple of hospitals in in Seattle as well. And we really aim to characterize outcomes from COVID-19 in hospital cardiac arrest. What we found um, was pretty in line with the stop COVID group. We did also include patients who suffered their cardiac arrest on the on the hospital floor. Um, our group found a rate of ROSC of 22.3%, uh, uh, 12.3% survival to 30 days. Um, and of the survivors to 30 days, all but one survived to hospital discharge. Of course, one of the things we see with COVID-19 is these prolonged hospital stays. Um, And of the patients who survived the 30 days, 50% did so with a CPC of one or two. Um, So, you know, outcomes that are- This is out of a a group of 2,060 patients. 
enrolled in across those 11 centers, correct? So pretty sizable. That's right, 260. Um, the majority of these patients were admitted to hospitals in New York City, which during the study period really had very high um, rates of COVID-19 was right in, the, in the, the spike of the initial surge. And when we looked at outcomes by center, we were really struck by the high variation in outcomes between centers. And this really ran the gambit between hospitals that had rates of ROSC well above 40%, survival well above 20%, to some hospitals that had rates of ROSC and survival that approached zero. Um, That's huge. It's a really, really striking range. And I think it goes some way to explain some of the literature that we see. Um, and it is quite possible that the the case series, the cohort studies that we've seen in these single centers simply represent one end of the spectrum of outcomes from COVID-19 in hospital cardiac arrest. And that and, and this really raises the possibility that perhaps we could in, improve outcomes in this population, um, especially in the in the face of, you know, a second or a third wave, depending how you how you define it. Um, so really the study has has raised a number of questions um, that we were unable to answer. As with the stop COVID group, we didn't have a control group. And so we don't know what the outcomes of non-COVID patients were um, in, in, our, in the study hospitals. Um, and that really leaves a fundamental question unanswered, which is, is it a cardiac arrest during this time that's associated with poor outcomes? Or is it that COVID arrest with COVID-19 is associated with poor outcomes? I, that I think is pretty fundamental. Um, the second question is what's driving this variation? Is it strained Is it strained teams that can not respond fast enough? Is it unrecognized clinical deterioration? Is it, uh, is it an inability of teams to provide adequate palliative care and prior to cardiac arrest itself? Or is it a reflection of strained resources post-arrest um, leading to an inability to provide TTM or any of these post-arrest um, protocols, which are realistically quite resource intensive. Um, and so I think there's a lot of work that's left to be done in this field. Um, and, and hopefully in the near future, we'll start to see some improved outcomes. I think that's a great uh, summary of, of, of your results. And uh, it should be mentioned, this is the only study that I'm aware of, at least that has so far uh, looked at uh, the characteristics and outcomes of in-hospital arrests uh, as a multi-center cohort, correct? Uh, at least in the, in the U.S. Say that again, Felipe. This is the only study that, as, as far as I'm aware, has looked at uh, a, a cohort of patients as a multi-center study in the United States uh, for in-hospital cardiac arrest. Yeah, it's the only study to also include patients who have their arrest on the, on the hospital floor. And um, the, stop, the STOP COVID team did a great job of characterizing those in the ICU. Um, but we, we take the, the whole the whole which is what we know uh, as the as the true in hospital arrest population right not just icu icu patients Correct. um one of the, the numbers that I thought it was interesting in, in your uh, cohort is actually the number of patients that uh, suffered cardiac arrest while uh, either while prone or uh, within 24 hours of having uh, been uh, in prone position as part of uh it's a, a um, strategy to to uh, ventilate uh, patients, which we've known uh, now, we've seen now as being actually fairly successful and broadly utilized in this uh, subset of criti critically ill patients with respiratory failure in the setting of, of COVID. Um, wh what could you tell us about uh, that particular group? Uh, was there anything interesting that you guys learned about uh, that specific group of patients? Um, yeah. So... 
we so of of our cohort 14 patients had required proning um either at the time of in-hospital cardiac arrest or within 24 hours prior to cardiac arrest. And we, inc- we included this as a data point because we wanted to know whether this was a population that had particularly poor outcomes. Um, and actually, we found that this did not predict um, a, a futile arrest. Um, and actually, over 50% of these patients attained ROSC and five, uh, which was just over 35%, survived to 30 days. Um, and so this is a this is a population who presumably had fairly advanced respiratory failure, um, who required proning, um, arrested during proning, and yet still managed to survive to hospital discharge. It's certainly an interesting, I think, uh, question and an interesting challenge. Uh, it is already challenging to manage patients in the ICU that are in prone position. Lots of logistic issues there um, and, and need for exper- experience amongst nurses and the, the entire team, respiratory therapists, uh, physicians caring for those patients. Um, and when you add to that bundle uh, uh, of complexities, cardiac arrest, it really, it really just, I think, represents a, a critical challenge. Um, what is your current um, understanding, ba- to the best of your knowledge, based on the data that we have um, in terms of management of these patients that arrest well in uh, in a prone position? Uh, you know, the, the, I think the first question that comes up often is, well, should you start CPR with a patient in prone position, um, or should you turn the patient on uh, on supine position? I think that's a a fantastic question and and one with only expert opinion as uh, as an answer really uh, from informal conversations with colleagues in the field I, I feel that the most common approach here is to begin chest compressions in the in the prone position whilst the team prepares the patient and as soon as they're ready in the most expedient way possible to supinate the patient and continue the resuscitation in in the the normal supine position um, but of course this is this is case reports, case series, and 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 expert opinion. Probably very very absolutely. tricky scenario. Well, completely agree with you. I'd have nothing to add except that uh, probably you know it, it, in any case uh, of a patient arresting in the unit, you should look up in look at their rhythm, right? And identify whether they're in a shockable rhythm. We know that uh, from, from different studies, we've, we've learned that many patients with shockable rhythms actually d- do not get recognized promptly and, and start to man- be managed with CPR um, as opposed to immediate defibrillation, which is what you would want to do if you recognize a shockable rhythm and, and you are uh, there ready to shock them. So that's I, 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 the only th- other thing that I would add is that in that cohort of patients, um, even more so, than perhaps a patient that is in being ventilated in supine position, you probably want to look at the monitor immediately to see if that patient is in a shockable rhythm because it might be a matter of just shocking the patient, right? Um, to getting ROSC. Uh, and that might potentially save you what what we know could be a, a very complicated resuscitation um, in, in terms of delivering CPR while, while in uh, on a mechanical ventilator in prone position. Um, I think that it's... Uh, this is a good place to uh, to wrap this up. Um, do you have any additional uh, thoughts, uh, perhaps any any questions uh, to share w- with the audience? Unfortunately, it feels like every time we discuss this topic and perhaps could extend this to many things in cardiac arrest, we we are left with more more questions than answers. And COVID nineteen related cardiac arrest and specifically in hospital cardiac arrest seems to fit that, uh, that, that description, that situation very well, unfortunately. The more data we have, I think we start to begin to build the story and to understand a little bit better of what, what 
what is going on. Um, as you said, we have now, I think, what is a good explanation for the uh, for the data that we saw in the early days uh, with those numbers that didn't quite fit. Um, we know that it, there is a wide um, variation across centers and that that probably signals um, some significant differences in the multiple components of the chain of resuscitation um, that we know that takes takes place in, in every in every single patient. And so how systems are organizing themselves um, to approach cardiac arrest and to respond to cardiac arrest in the in-hospital setting is probably just as important as, as uh, the out-of-hospital cardiac arrest setting. Uh, lots of questions here, um, we hope, and I'm certain we'll see more data coming out uh, beyond that one that we'll see um, in a few days at rest. And with that, I will leave it here. You can check us out at www.pentttm.com. You can find there this one in all episodes of this podcast and much more. Um, we can uh, get also online training courses, live courses, and workshops. You can also follow us on Twitter at PenTTM, where you can send us your questions, your ideas for future topics, um, and anything that you would like us to discuss. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Philippe Tran. Thank you, Oscar, for dropping knowledge today. Thank you for having me. And I will see you in a few days at rest. Bye-bye. Have-